Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number 118. In this episode, Carl interviews some more amazing guests live at that conference. You won't want to miss it. This episode of the MS Dev Show is brought to you by Infragistics, providing tools and solutions to accelerate design, development, insights, and collaboration for any organization. All right, right now we're talking on day three with Angela Dugan. She's an Microsoft MVP and ALM, if I'm correct? Correct. Application yes. lifestyle management stuff. Yes. So, uh, that is going to uh, come into uh, focus a little bit later with what you talked about this week. But uh, we'd like to talk about that conference. So uh, you're wearing one of those nifty gray shirts. So that means you're a staff member. So yes. what do you do for that conference? <laughs> so I've been a part of it got from the very beginning. Um, about a year before the first conference, Clark called me up and said, hey, I've got this crazy idea. You want to be a part of it? And I said, absolutely. Why wouldn't I? Um, so I pretty early on kind of took over like hey we're gonna have badges mm -hmm. there's gonna be kids why don't we give them an opportunity to be creative and by the badges she also means these lovely ribbons <laughs> yes there there's there are people who follow me around the conference now because they know i'm the ribbon person and they're like what do you have on you um but it's fun it gets people excited people will talk like hey where'd you find that ribbon why do you why are you wearing this ribbon i don't have that ribbon um so it's a great way to get people talking too and to get people to just start conversations like why I put pants on today. <laughs> <laughs> right. We have we have ribbons for people who play Artemis for come to board game night, which is another thing yes. that, that I started was having, um, we always have Monday night as being kind of a free night. Mm -hmm. And so it's been a while, but if I remember correctly, the first year we had nothing on Monday night, but mm -hmm. my husband and I are huge board gamers. And so we brought you just brought them along and it became something. Yes, and it became something. And then I said, hey, let's make this official. Every Monday night is board game night. Um, and so every year it grew and it grew. And then finally it got so big that my husband and I couldn't really handle it on our mm -hmm. own. And so we got I got in contact with a board game store and had them bring their library in this year and so that we could actually enjoy it. <laughs> that was pretty awesome. So they had just several tables worth of games. Yes. Yeah, Boardlandia has been, they were a great sponsor this year. Yeah, so that was pretty awesome. Uh, this year, you also gave a talk on SAFE. I did. So, what yeah. what what is SAFE? And Sa as a developer, why should I? Be <laughs> why interested? should you care? <laughs> um, so, so SAFE is is one of of many scaled Agile frameworks, okay. right? So, um, there there have been a lot of talks on Agile and Scrum in general mm -hmm. at the conference over the years, um, and SAFE is actually a way that when your company starts to kind of outgrow, just hey, we have more than just one or two Scrum teams. Maybe we have. 10 scrum teams or hundreds, right? Yep. I mean, large enough companies, you could potentially have hundreds of scrum teams. Um, and so one of the things that, that so I, I work at Player mm -hmm. Solutions and one of the things that we do is we go out to companies and we help them adopt better processes and kind of grow and improve from the inside out. And when we work with larger companies, we needed some structure. Yep. And there's a lot of options, right? There's Nexus, Scrum of Scrums, Less. Safe is just one of them. Yep. Um, but it's one that a lot of us have gone through the certification. It's got a lot of really great practices. And so my talk was, it was interesting because I wasn't trying to get people up to speed on what it was in an hour. Yep. There's no way you, you can do that. Right. It's, <laughs> it's just too big. It's like, what is it? Right. So my goal was, at a high level, what is safe, right? Mm -hmm. So 
slightly longer than what I just went through. And then talk through what are some of the good practices? What are some of the roles you, you would want to think about? What are some of the things that you need to do to start scaling? What are smart ways to scale? Even if safe isn't necessarily the right thing for you, here's some practices you can draw from it. Yeah, because I've been at a place, maybe not quite the hundreds, but I've been at a place that has that grew from six to eight to 10 scrum teams. And, you know, that's where you straight start being like, well, this isn't in the, the book and the test that we all took. <laughs> and uh, how do we do this? We're seeing this pain here and we want right. to fix it, but we still want to be agile. Right. Right. And the, the other thing that comes into play is it's not just about the scrum teams. It's also about the organization as a whole. Mm -hmm. So once you get to a point where you have multiple scrum teams, especially when it's that large, you have things like very large project management offices. Mm -hmm. They have very specific directives that don't necessarily play really well with, with agile concepts. Yes. How do they budget in an agile way? How do they forecast what they're going to work on for the next five years. That's mm -hmm. like a big, huge anti-agile thing, right? Is trying yeah. to plan for five years. And so some of the things that SAFE talks about is how do you have those conversations? What are some ways to allow them to be more agile mm -hmm. without trying to get them to convert to Scrum, right? Because that's yeah. not going to happen. So yeah, that sounds like, I think uh, where a lot of places either are at or are about to be because a lot of people throughout the last couple of years have kind of taken those scrum classes. And like I mentioned before, it's like, you know, where do we go from here? So where, right. where can we go to learn more information? Maybe not about safe, but about ways to scale our current practices up to that next level. Yeah. So, so there's honestly, there's a lot of places. So I, I did post my presentation out on SlideShare. So okay. if you, if you Google me, Angela Dugan, you'll, you'll find my, that conference talk. It's a good place to start because I actually have a slide in there that says, Hey, if you want to learn more, <laughs> here's some links, here's some white papers, here's some books, some really good places to start. So that would probably be the easiest place to start. Um, and then I always tell people, feel free to ping me on Twitter or send me an email. I'm happy to answer specific questions and point people in the right direction because it can be an overwhelming topic to start digging into. Yeah. Well, thanks for giving me this, this over, overview and awareness of yeah. this because, I, like I said, this is something at least with the, uh, the teams and the clients that I work with, you, you're starting to see some of these pain points. And it, it's it's nice to know that there are people that are thinking about ways how to evolve this and make this better yeah. in a way that fits with kind of what, what we like about agile. Absolutely. So are you working on anything else that you care to talk about right now or? I mean, I'm on a lot of conference committees. <laughs> so if, if that, if that counts, I mean, I guess if you don't mind me plugging another plug, conference plug that's coming up. Whatever you want. Yeah. This is your time. So, so, uh, I am actually on the committee for St. Louis DevUp, which used to be yep. St. Louis days of .NET. That's actually coming up in October. Um, and I'm actually, I was the curator of the Agile track and we've got some really amazing talks nice. in there as well. And so I want to make sure people are aware of it because it's, it's also like that conference, right? Mm -hmm. It was kind of a grassroots movement. Very strong community out there, but not everyone knows about about St. Louis Days of .NET or so like you, I said. So you now get it's around demo. too, is what you're I, saying. I, I do. So I'm you're also, based in Illinois. You're <laughs> up in Wisconsin now. You, you run a conference in yes. Missouri. Yeah, nice. I, and I do do things in Chicago. I'm also an organizer of Chicago Code Camp. Excellent. <laughs> so you know, I but I'm very involved in the community. I've always yes. been very passionate about kind of giving back. So this is my way to give back to the community. Like I've got a lot of support mm -hmm. over the years. So now this is my way of saying, hey. I'm going to support everyone else, and it's, I love that we have a family track here. That's I'm so proud of that. Yeah, well, thank you for very much for everything that you do. It's a wonderful event. I know everybody that I've talked to has had 
nothing but very wonderful things to say. So thanks for being a part of it from the beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And thank you for being here and, and giving us some great publicity. Yeah. So where can people find you online if they want to find more about Angela? Sure. So um, I have a website. Yep. Uh, my blog is tfswhisperer.com. Um, I am Oak Park Girl on Twitter. Um, and other than that, you can you can also find you know sometimes I blog on our Player Solutions website, um, and you can almost always find me at a local user group or at a conference. I'm I'm pretty involved in the community. Awesome! Thanks a lot. Yeah, thank you. Right now we're talking to Jerry Nixon. Hi, Carl. It's good to be here. Yeah, you've been on a. a Already, and you're going to be on pretty soon again, so uh, we're going to be seeing a lot of you. I love the MS Dev Show. That's awesome, because yeah. we love us, too. Yeah, dude. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you're not the only one. You guys are uh, you guys are hitting it big right now. This is your golden years. Yeah, we are doing pretty good right now. Yeah. And you're looking pretty good right now. You've got the, the nice vest going on. Oh, yeah, that's my See, presentation vest, because I'm so about to present. You're about to present on inclusive design. Inclusive, developer's introduction to inclusive design. So my, you ever heard of it? Uh, I have heard of it, but you know, I, I saw that you were speaking on that, and my first thought is, what does that have to do with XAML? Yeah, it has everything to do with XAML. Everything to do with yeah, XAML. You, so the name enable is the namespace. Enable colon. So XMLNS inclusive design. And all right, <laughs> it's that easy. And then wow. you've got it working. All right, that was nice talking to you. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's drag and drop. If you use the designer, it's drag all and right. drop. It's not really, of course. Obviously, it's really a philosophy. You know, it's not like domain-driven design. Domain-driven design is really a set of patterns for developers to kind of change the way mm -hmm. they process. This is really more about a thinking process of um, you're really identifying too few users for your application. Yeah. So, you know, I picture everybody who uses my application. They have a nice machine. Um, they're not in the rain. Uh, they have both of their eyes, and they have plenty of bandwidth. You know, for yep. example, they got right? a full Ethernet connection. You know, yeah. hundred by a hundred. Yeah, and so I mean, a lot of times you see uh, um, you see inclusive design and accessibility coupled together. Yep, but it's not. That's not right because accessibility is really about, you know, if you, if you're blind, what are the tricks or what are the things that developers can do to make it more accessible to you? If you can't hear, what are the things that developers can do to make it more accessible to you? But inclusive design isn't about that at all. It's really about, um, identifying or just being able to recognize that the app you're building or the software you're building, um, is really geared towards a small, use case. Uh, even if you have 20 use cases, you've really narrowed them down environmentally. You know, socially, uh, there's there are use cases where you could be in a crowd or you could be alone or you could be in a library or it needs to be quiet and all of a sudden mm -hmm. you've chir you're chirping or whatever. So that's a kind of use case that you have to think about around inclusive design. So it's not about um, ability and disability. It's really about context. And so another one would be, mm -hmm. you know, I'm on a bus um, or I'm in a, I'm in a bus or I'm on a train that goes through a tunnel. Mm -hmm. And so I need that use case as well because what if bandwidth is is really really generous but it's only occasional you know mm -hmm. all these other pieces as well so there's a lot to it as well i mean there is definitely um what if you what if you can't hold your hands still yep. right what if you have a thing where you can't hold your hands still and your application requires them to, to press and hold well it's just not possible for them um you know what if uh, the way you've decided to alert that a long running process is finished is uh, you play a nice tone well you know everybody that can't hear suddenly don't they don't know that it's finished so you yeah. want to think about all of those cases as well inclusive design is really just a new way of thinking it's not a new way of thinking yeah. it is a new way of thinking in the modern world right because if you think about um think about buildings like if you can't if you're in a wheelchair Mm -hmm. And you're trying to get into a building, and, and um, that building is inaccessible to you, not because of your wheelchair, because of the stairs. The stairs are what made it inaccessible. The designer of that building 
Yeah, you can have one, man. Sure. I just love it. <laughs> this is awesome. I, I love the kids who come up here. And you know what? Most of them ask if they can have it. It's but, not just like a, a – Like adults rock. who feel like they're entitled to them. They like have a bag and they're like one of this, one of that, one of that. Uh, did I get then they, everything? Then they don't even use it. They go home, forget they have it, no. put it on eBay. So, you know, <laughs> could uh, social aspects, I'm, you know, I'm just trying to think like over here, we might try to be cute and cheeky in an application. Like, yeah. you know, don't be, if you like this, it's a free app, but, you know, buy me a beer. Whereas if I'm trying to sell this in the Middle East, right? that, right. that, that. Language alone is a terrific inclusion piece because- um, you know uh, what? There's, there's, we think about 450 million people speak English as their first language, mm-hmm. and about 350 million speak it as their second language. That leaves about six billion that don't speak it at all. Yeah. And it, what's even more interesting about that is 80% of the app of 80% of the internet as a whole is written in English. Right? It's mm-hmm. crazy. And if you look at penetration, the uh, 50% of all users come from Asia in, yep. in, the, in the internet. And um, as far as penetration, um, Asia is only 49 pen- 49% penetrated right now. So, you know, in America, we're like 98%. It's some great number, you know. But there, I mean, if you think they're already half of the internet and they're only half penetrated and none of the internet really caters to the language that they are. So, of course, they are going to be tailored to or, you know, naturally drifting towards sites and apps that that cater to them mm-hmm. and it's a small percentage, but it's, it kind of creates an opportunity as well. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like if so, you had an app that was written in Chinese, you would have so much more opportunity, especially as time passes. Yeah. Yeah. So inclusive design really is about being nice to people. It's about like empathy because uh, here's another great example. Uh, in windows, you can go into settings and you can do this in, in your Mac too. You can go in and you could turn off animations. Mm-hmm. And so now all of the things that are like hoopty do inside Windows are now are immediate and they take away all the animations. Developers can query for that and know whether or not that's turned on or turned off in at a system level. And then level. they can respond to it. And they can respond to it because often an animation like you just sometimes when you don't have the that issue, you don't mm-hmm. realize how painful it can be to see things move in a way and you just can't keep up anymore. Mm-hmm. And so uh, just simple things like that that developers can do. Language is easy enough because the multilingual t- toolkit, you've yep. seen that probably. Yeah, we just talked about it. Uh, Lori Lalonde, we talked about localization and globalization recently. Oh, yeah, yeah, nice. And- How'd you differentiate local and global? So localization is really is really more the, like the, the, language. the language yeah. and globalization is making your app aware and respond, you know, being built in a way where either you can make it left to right or right to left, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. leaving room for letting it, things flow around. So when, right. when, when things do change, when, you know, when it's a three letter word in English and like a 52 letter in German. Yeah. You yeah, know, you, you got to have space for you it. Gotta you got to dial it. it down. And you want to change things like currency. And sometimes I- I- inclusive design and globalization are very similar in that sometimes you have to change the metaphor because, you know, I'm going to have a metaphor inside my application that you, you know, you hit it with a hammer or mm-hmm. you cut it with a knife or, you know, whatever. And, uh, you know, in where you live, that is so offensive. I mean, yep. I had no idea that was offensive. You know what I mean? And so sometimes it's not just language that needs to change. Globally, as you go from culture to culture, you might actually need to shift some metaphors inside your application. So yeah. that's it as well. Yeah. So when I brought to you that, that beer idea before, it really made me think, you know, like put a steaming mug that looks like it's because how, ma- how many people would think you of drink coffee? Steaming mugs of beer? No, uh, uh, of <laughs> coffee or tea. Oh, right. Because, right. you know, that's uh, coffee and tea is the same image. Of a cup like this. You have a cup like that? That's awesome. Ah, it's nice. Uh, I wouldn't put a steaming beverage in there. <laughs> 
Uh, but if you have a steaming cup that re represents coffee or tea, and now all of a sudden, mm. instead of you know beer, which might be excluding maybe a quarter of the population, now you have something that probably well over ninety percent of the people that would use your app think of as, hey, you know, I, I understand and approve of that. Yeah, that's right. And it's and it's not so much. I mean, there is definitely a thing you get for free out of it. Like for example, one of the um, like the key the the typewriter, right? Mm -hmm. If you look at early typewriter prototypes, um, I forget the guy who created it, but um, he was doing it because he was trying to make it so that a blind friend of his could write legibly. Um, and yeah, email was the same way. The the, the main guy who did um, email, he was trying to communicate with his deaf wife in a more simple mm -hmm. way. And so it's funny because you see all these like well, if we think about it as inclusive inclusion sort of things, uh, this sort of approach really is an engine for innovation as well. Yeah. Because even though he was creating a typewriter for his blind friend to be able to write more legibly, it became a typewriter. Yeah. And it, all these things came out of it. And look at email came out of it. And and even like bendy straws have a have a little story behind them yep. about how this guy, his daughter couldn't drink because she couldn't move and at the table she couldn't drink from her. And so he invented the bendy straw. And now we see him everywhere. And just yeah. these little things come along. And you're like, why would I go to the effort of, you know, because if you think about it, if I'm already hitting 90% or of my intended audience, what's that 10% really even matter to me? And you may actually be unlocking a, you know, a gigantic portion that you don't realize because you're about to invent something yeah. that's amazing. Well, it's like our keynoter today. He started off mm. making a product so his deaf dad could see these notifications on his smartphone. That's right. And it ended up being a platform for his startup. Yeah, yeah. So you never know where those little things lead you either. And so many things are built into Windows that we can take advantage of, like... Um, like a screen reader is already yep. part of it. You don't have to install that, of course. And uh, But it doesn't, you know, it, it works okay for a lot of apps, but not very well because developers don't take advantage of like automation properties and giving things names and being able, mm -hmm. and just thinking it through that, that honestly retrofitting an application that already exists is pretty expensive, but just knowing in advance keeps you from just making those mistakes yep. so that it doesn't cost anything. You enable a larger piece as well. And honestly, kind of contribute to a better world. It's kind of weird to say that, but yeah. you kind of do. Because why should why should anybody sitting around the table be the one that's excluded, right? Well, that guy, if, if only you could hear, I would let you use my app. Mm -hmm. That doesn't make sense, right? It's going to yep. take me another two hours, and now you can you can use it as well. That's worth it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really a mindset change as well. There's some technical stuff you need to know in order to do it right. But really, it's a decision that developers and designers make to make their application usable by a larger portion of the population. It's pretty cool stuff. Yeah. So do you have any resources that we can point maybe anybody to that would want to find out a little bit more about inclusive? There, well, you know, it's crazy. Well, let's, let's, let's dial it down to okay. just accessibility for a second, okay. right? So that's a small part of inclusion, but we'll leave it there. Um, accessibility is over-documented on MSDN. And it's one of those, I would say, um, if you had like page counters on MSDN, it gets it's, the it's like, yeah, it doesn't even have a comma, right? <laughs> and everybody's like, I don't know how to do it. How could I possibly know how to do it? Well, it's because you're not looking. And so accessibility is really, really well mm -hmm. documented. Um, and it's, it's, it's a very small set of steps that you really need to do. And it's stuff like, um, it's stuff like contrast colors. Like that's a really important one mm -hmm. because a lot of, um, if you look at the spectrum of visually impaired, only a tiny portion are blind. Mm -hmm. The more of them are, it's just difficult to see. Or the colorblind is another is in there as well. And colorblind, here's a crazy stat: um, one out of every ten guys is colorblind. Mm -hmm. There's different ways of colorblind, like yellow colorblind and stuff. But anyway, uh, one out of every ten is colorblind, and uh, one half of one percent of girls. 
It's crazy. So, yeah. I mean, just tiny. It's, all, it's kind of a guy thing. But um, so let's say your application was going to show, you know, a status complete by shifting red to green. Well, it turns out red and green look exactly the same. So, so they wouldn't be able to see it at all. Right. So, but if you change the flag status, you know, so it looked different, then both people who could see color and people who couldn't see color would have well, a good experience. Yeah, that's right. So design affordances like that that we sort of skip over because we just don't do it for and, whatever. And sometimes it's not even like that extreme of a thing. Um, no. Yesterday, I showed you my Twitter application that yeah. I use. And normally, it's kind of like a, a, a darker gray background with a, a lighter gray text. It, yeah. it looks really nice in, in some soft light. But when you get out in the sun, yeah, it's it, de- it, it detects that all of a sudden there's this you know, a new world of that it's in and you yeah. probably can't read that other one. So it f- switches it to a white background with dark text, yeah. which makes it easier to see. It's so smart to do little things like that because I mean, in a, I mean, we could use the word and say, when you're in super bright light with trying to read mm-hmm. your phone, in a way you're disabled at that time. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's a different, ab- different disabilities. They don't last for a, a long time. It's a temporary disability. And so being able to cater to you makes the app better for you. Mm-hmm. And forget about anybody with any visual impairment, right? It mm-hmm. actually is better for you, but it turns out people with visual impairment actually benefit from mm-hmm. it as well. And what's also nice is one thing I didn't show you, they actually have a slider where you can adjust where that that cutoff is. Oh, the threshold of it. So if, if you did have something where it's just easier for you to be white, black on white, black on white, white, you can just move it all the, all the way over. That's very nice. Yeah, that's very nice. And it's great. Let me look at how we're talking about it. We're like, look at these developers, how much love they gave to us through this application. That's what, that's the, that's the winner really is the developer because as soon as you start adding these features, People don't need to know or even need to think about what other group is this for because it suits them too, right? It's all these benefits. Like I can tell you many, many times I have messed with the scale of Windows to make it higher or lower scale. Mm -hmm. Sometimes because I'm doing a demo, sometimes because – I mean there's a lot of fun reasons too. And uh, that capability isn't for me. That capability Mm -hmm. is for people who really have – trouble seeing things that are small yep. and uh, but it's you know i'm doing a quick touch demo and i'm showing it off and i get this benefit that was really written for somebody else and yeah. so it's not really uh, an investment so that we can like let's say we did it we did a um we're going to do a study and we see that we have 10 users mm-hmm. and one of them has trouble using their app in the light and so now we we argue with each other and we're like well is one tenth of all of our users really worth it and we've kind of blown yeah. the whole idea because for one People are worth it, but you know there is an investment cost. But does it play to the other ten, you know, or the other nine in this case? And I, it that's what inclusive design really is. It's about nobody around the table really needs to be excluded for no good reason. Mm-hmm. And can you realize that catering to that in a good way actually enables benefits for everybody? And so it's everybody's a winner in the in the end. Some sites, some apps are um, like. They're driven by the law, you know. Yeah. Like, uh, there's a lot of legislation about an ADA legislation that requires yeah. it, but um, but you and I aren't, you know yeah. what I mean? And uh, and 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 I don't know if that's even the right motivation to do stuff either. You know, I, I, it's it's weird to think how many hours I burn trying to figure out if I could rewrite a for loop yeah. any faster, mm-hmm. and how many hours I don't burn just adding names to controls that would make it so easy to use. Anyway, so that's that's what inclusive design is, and that's what we're going to talk about. Uh, gosh, my session's in an hour. <laughs> well. We'll uh, let you have some time to do that. Um, I need to go meditate. <laughs> yeah. So, so first of all, I got two last things. So yeah, go ahead. Uh, 
where can people find you online? JerryNixon.com. JerryNixon.com. J-E-R-R-Y-N-I-X-O-N.com. And, uh, and uh, I mean, even though that's the primary place to find me, at MicrosoftVirtualAcademy.com, I've got a billion courses on especially XAML stuff. Yep. And um, so that's an easy place to go find a lot of the content I've created. That's, I mean, that's a lot of, it's fun actually coming to a conference because I see, like, people will, will ask me, like, where's the bathroom? Right. Yep. And I'll be like, it's right there. And they're like, wait a minute. I, I've totally <laughs> watched you in this for hours. I've, you, we've sat together and you've been teaching me C sharp, you know, and I'm, it's a cool experience. It, yeah. It's even funnier when I go to, when I, when, when I go to Europe or, or when I see Europeans, they always want to take my picture. It's so funny. <laughs> I think we actually yeah. talked about this once. Yes. Oh, that's funny. That, that's actually how we met is I was going up to you to say hi and introduce myself. And you're like, you're Carl from the MS dev show. Bam. Yeah. You're so famous. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's awesome. So Which you're easy to spot because your voice is like super specific. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you've got a good voice. It's very, very podcast ready. Well, it's, it's because I have a face for radio. <laughs> that's why we're doing it on video now. <laughs> yes. Uh, so the last thing is, what are you working on next? Because I know you're a guy, you're, you're not just working on one thing. What are you doing next? Can you talk about it? Well, let's see. What am I doing next that I can talk about? <laughs> oh, that is tricky. Um, in the, what, uh, no. No? Okay. <laughs> Isn't that awful? All right. All right. So we're going to have well, you Well, my on current soon. project, I, I think what you're thinking of is that I am, I am working on a project, but it's an internal project. Okay. It's a DRM project. All right. So we'll talk about that next time you're on. Yeah, because be on I'll soon. publish it and it'll be... It'll be All right. Yeah. Well, we're going to talk... What are we talking about? Xbox. Oh, yeah. Deploying UWP on Xbox One. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, that's awesome. Yeah, that is awesome, actually. And Darren will be there and it's always a good time with Darren. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool. All right. Hey, look at our pictures that you taken. Hey, Hi. we're doing it live Just on like video. You said it. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Carl. Yeah, thanks a lot, Jerry. Thanks for being on. You bet. Infragistics, Ultimate UX and UI tools, and Enterprise Mobility Solutions, SharePlus and Report Plus, enable high-performance apps on any device, faster data insights, simplified collaboration, and market-leading security, all backed by comprehensive support. With Infragistic's Ultimate UX and UI Development Toolkit, you can ensure mission-critical applications delivering a superior user experience on the desktop, web, and native device environments for iOS and Android. With the latest BI tools, wow your users with dashboards providing the data insights that they need when and where they need it, all at a low total cost of ownership. Try it today. Download a free trial at infragistics.com and follow them for the latest updates in UX and UI development, reporting, and collaboration at Infragistics on Twitter. And remember, each week, if we pick your comment on the show, you will get a free copy of Infragistics Ultimate UX and UI Toolset. So right now we're talking to Seth Juarez. We know you pretty famously for all of your interviews on Channel 9, yeah. flipping the tables a little bit here. I know, it's going to be awkward for me. But uh, what's not awkward is I, I, I don't think many people know, but before you did Channel 9, you did a lot of machine learning stuff, I did, right? I did. I actually created a machine learning library called NewML. Uh, before it was called Machine Learning for .NET, but it was a little too long, so I changed mm -hmm. it. I copied the NuGet teams, NuGet, and I called yeah. it NewML. And if you go to newml.net, you can find the library there. But then I also talk about general machine learning. Yeah. So you've been doing machine learning for quite a while now. How long has it been? Uh, I don't know. See, like, like I studied it in school, mm -hmm. and I've applied it to some problems. But I don't consider myself like a full-fledged, like, 
tried and true data scientist because I haven't, I don't write real code. I write like demoware. I write, there's only like one thing that I've written that's actually in production right now that I've written recently mm -hmm. because I write a lot of demo, but I do, I do build machine learning models yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of us, we think of machine learning, we're like, that is out of our hands. So, you know, what are the basics of machine learning? What do we need to get going with it? So I don't think it's as, a, as a confusing as people make it out to be. The first thing that you have to do is you have to come up with a sharp question. And usually those questions involve, like, for example, how much or how many? Which class does it belong to? How do we group things? Is it weird? And the last one is, do I want to recommend something? And those are really the only five questions that you can ask in machine learning. Once you've done that, then you need to start thinking about, okay, what data do I have? Mm -hmm. So you need to start identifying your data sources, and then you need to start like looking at your data to see if it will even work. And then you need to do some analysis on your data. And once you've done that, then you can start to build models and do machine learning. But sometimes you get to like the analysis of the data and you already know what's happening and there's no need for machine learning. So you always start with a sharp question and then you go all the way down to building models down at the end if you need to. So I guess that's one key thing that I haven't really heard about before. Sometimes you can look at your data and realize that you don't need it. Yeah. So, so really, you know, you mentioned your grouping, counting. To me, those are a lot of like sequely kind of things you can kind of do anyways. What's, what's the different take that machine learning has on that. So the thing about it is like for example when it comes to grouping, imagine having a group by clause where there is no where. Okay. Like that's illegal in, in SQL. <laughs> yep. Uh, but in machine learning you can create groups just based upon the characteristics of the data. And, and that's very important for example, here, let's talk about recommendation. When you want to recommend something, you need to be able to group things. Like for example, there's two types of, of recommender systems. One is a content-based recommendation, and the other is, uh, it's, it's just one out of my head, but it's, uh, it's where you're using other people to help make sort of the recommendation, mm -hmm. and it just went out of my head what it is. But for example, you need to be able to group content or items into groups. Yep. How do you group them? And so that's what one of the grouping things will answer. And once you've grouped them, you can say, okay, well, if you bought one from this set, then you might like the other set. The other type of, of, of uh, recommendation is called collaborative filtering, which mm -hmm. is where I'm Jim and you're Bob, and okay, Jim and Bob are similar. Jim really likes this thing that uh, Bob hasn't bought, so we should let him buy it. Notice that that involves grouping as well, right? Mm -hmm. And so notice that... If you have a group by clause with nowhere, that's where machine learning comes in. It will find the groups for you. The other thing that you mentioned is, like for example, uh, classification. Uh, SQL Server can't do that because you might have some data that says, for example, here's a row of data about, I don't know, let's say cancer patients. Yep. And you have sort of a bunch of features about, you know, their temperature was this, their skin color was this, and this and that and then they had cancer or they didn't. Notice that you'll have those records, but given a new a new record that doesn't have that, whether they have cancer or not filled out, how do you predict that? Notice there's no SQL query to do that. Yeah. And so you gotta sort of put that into the system and have it learn a way to detect whether or not it has cancer. But it has to fall into those five kinds of questions. All right, that's pretty awesome. So, you know, what? Obviously, this is a, a field that's progressing pretty rapidly. Sure. So what, what has changed in the last couple of years to make this more approachable? So here's, here's the thing. I, I don't know about, I don't think machine learning people really 
care about approachability. I don't know why. Yeah. Like, I wish we'd be more approachable about it. I try to give talks that are more oh. approachable. But one thing that has changed is in the 90s, neural networks were very popular. Yeah. Uh, but it turns out that they wanted to make more deeper neural networks, and our computers couldn't handle them. So they switched over to these things called support vector machines, and they became really popular. But now because our computers can handle uh, more computational power, now you're hearing about deep learning, which is neural networks, but deeper. Right, and they do some interesting things. And so there's like these cycles that you kind of go through in and out of, of machine learning. But in essence, it's finding really clever ways of answering one of those five questions. Mm -hmm. You know, how much, how many, uh, does it belong, to, which group does it belong to? Uh, the other one, I had them all in my head and it just <laughs> went out. So how much, how many, what group does it belong to? Is it weird? It, can I, do I recommend something or can I create artificial groups? So those five questions. Right. So is there a good resource if we want to find out more about this that you recommend? Well, there's a couple of books that you can, you can look at. One of them that I found that's a, kind of an older book is called, I think it's Programming Collective Intelligence. It's an O'Reilly book. It's an older one. It's really good at explaining these things and how they work. Uh, the one that I like that, that I use to implement algorithms is called, uh, oh, it's written by Christopher Bishop, uh, but it's called Pattern Recognition and Machine Learning. PRML is how they, and, and it's a really good book if you want to know the math behind it. These things tend to get a little mathy, mm -hmm. but like, I don't know, I, I'm a math minor in college, but I didn't consider myself a math person. And I, f I feel like once you start using math as a tool and less as a, like, I need to know how to use this math, mm -hmm. then it becomes a little bit less sort of intimidating, in my opinion. Awesome. So, you know, one of the questions that I'm trying to ask everybody here as well, too, is, you know, this is not your first, uh, that conference, no. right? You were here last year? I've been here like three or four years. Oh. I think I've been to all of them except for one. Okay. So, what is, how... What is your opinion on that conference? How do you, you know, I like it. I mean, how do you I'm, feel about it compared to other conferences as well? Well, comparison is kind of hard. I've known Clark for many years, mm -hmm. and I like Clark's style of just like, you know, let's just sit down and have a chat kind of thing. And I feel like a lot of his personality is sort of, sort of blended into that conference. And so I like the whole, like when I gave my talk, I'm like, oh, if there's not a lot of people here, let's just scoot up and let's just yeah. have a chat. Very like, informal. Yeah. And then they have, they're very serious about the open spaces, which are just happening here right next to us yes. if you're listening. Uh, and so I like, I like the informality of it all because it's a really good way to feel comfortable with things that perhaps you aren't comfortable in. And that's what I like about that conference. Well, thanks a lot for being on, Seth. Hey, thanks for having me on, my friend. Right now we're talking with Tony Gabon. He's going to be speaking later on this week on Angular 2. Yes. How's it going? Good. How are you? So, is this, first of all, is this your first year at that conference? No, it is my fifth year. I've it is your here. fifth year. I've been here for all of them. That's awesome. So, you know, being here fifth years, have you just attended, spoken, combination of each? Um, this is my second year speaking. Second year speaking? Otherwise, it was just attending. Yeah. So, so what do you like about that conference? Um, so, I heard this last night, and I've been stealing it ever since, <laughs> is... A lot of people are like, you know, you go to a conference, you sort of just learn some tech and hang out. Um, and somebody said last night that this one feels more like a family reunion. You come in and uh, meet all the people you haven't seen in a year or haven't seen recently and sort of like just hang out and meet everyone, all your friends and 
the family again. It's kind of weird. It's kind of nice though. Really. So, so have you brought your family this year? Yes, they are around here somewhere. <laughs> and we'll be hitting up one of the family sessions in like an hour. That's awesome. So tell us a little bit what you're going to be uh, trying to get across about Angular 2. Sure. So my talk is called um, out, with the, out With the Old, In With The New, mm -hmm. um, comparison Angular 1 and 2. Um, so the whole premise of the talk is uh, there was a lot of FUD around Angular 1 and Angular 2 and the differences and whatnot. Um, and I kind of wanted to demonstrate that it's really not that bad. I mean, yes, you can't jump easily from one to the next, but mindset-wise, you're going to be pretty okay. So what really are the differences between Angular 1 and 2 on a high level? Uh, the highest level is everything is kind of moved to a component architecture. Mm -hmm. um, so you want to have small pieces um, that do kind of one thing instead of having like these giant controllers. So there's a lot of uh, dislike of Angular 1 just because it's really easy to have a giant view and a giant controller, and then that's your kind of your whole app, where in Angular 2, uh, there's more of a separation into just smaller chunks and kind of pushing that idea. Um, some of the other parts that's really neat is it's all um, like JavaScript classes and ES6 uh, uh, support, or ES2015, whichever one we're using these days. Mm -hmm. um, Oh, what else is there? There's a whole bunch. So, you know, when you say that it's, you know, it, it, you know, it's more componentized, does that mean it's also maybe a little bit less opinionated as well? Um, yeah. So you have things like Ember that have really strong opinion, and maybe something like React that has less of opinion. Angular is, I still feel, right in the middle. Uh, their CLI that they're releasing is kind of gets you started, but they don't limit you that's a, and say you have to do it this way. Mm -hmm. So, like, if you like Webpack, you can use Webpack. Or if you like System.js, you can use System.js. Um, testing frameworks is a good one, too. Like, if you like Jasmine, they, you know, kind of push Jasmine. But Mocha works, too. And they're yep. trying to basically support, um, you know, whatever the developers want to use, but still have your typical templating for Angular and your services and your classes um, to do your work. So... You know, you, you said one of the main things you're doing is kind of like showing the differences be, between the two. So if I have a, an Angular 1 application, you know, what, what kind of work is needed for me to convert that to two? Sure. Um, there is a way to run them side by side. Mm -hmm. um, so if you are migrating over from 1 to 2, you can run both Angular 1 and 2 on the same web page. So you could kind of make a slow transition. Yes. That's nice. Um, there's some caveats and catches with that. It's highly dependent on how you wrote your Angular 1 code. Um, if you have a giant controller and a giant view, maybe not so much. Um, but if you had, um, you kind of broke out your uh, web page into components and used that model and sort of used some of the newer pieces that are in Angular 1, uh, you'll have a better time running them side by side. That's pretty awesome. Anything else that you want to tell us about Angular or? Or that conference? You should come to that conference. <laughs> and Angular 2 is way better than Angular 1. Um, so, if it, so if we passed over Angular 1 for whatever reason, we should definitely give 2 a try. Yes. I am, full disclosure, not a fan of Angular 1. I have some tweets and stuff that's out there that prove that. Angular 2, I'm, I'm on board. And so it's... And the one other thing, like if you're picking between React or Angular 2, it's really hard now. 
because they are similar. They are like that similar. There's some just minor differences that. So it's kind of up to the developer. At so that if point. we're starting a brand new file, new project kind of yeah. application, React and Angular two are pretty comparable at this point. Pretty comparable, kind of. Nothing really stands out a whole lot about each one for the pros and cons. Yep, I had joke that it's basically picking a templating engine. <laughs> it's more than that, but at some level, that's one of the main choices you're making is what templating uh, engine you want to use. The JSX for React or the Angular templating with the directives in your HTML. So are you using Angular or React, anything uh, in the projects that you're working on? Um, at the company I work for, we use both. Um, right now, I'm more in the Angular 2 learning and understanding and playing around. Um, I use it in some of my personal projects as well. All right, that was nice talking to you. Uh, where can we find you online? Um, I am online most everywhere under Ubert, at Ubert, O-O-B-E-R-T. Um, otherwise, my website is geekwithopinions.com, where I sometimes write. All right, nice talking to you today, Tony. Thank you. Nice talking to you. Today, we're talking to Max Milner. Uh, he gave an awesome talk on building a Lego, programming your Lego robot. Hi, Max. Hi. How you doing? Good. So, first of all, how old are you? I'm 11. You're 11 years old, and you gave a, a talk to a bunch of kids and adults here. So, uh, how, how did you uh, come across this opportunity? What made you want to give a talk on Lego programming? Um. Well, I've done this Lego Robotics for three years, and um, my dad has spoken for a couple of years at this conference, so mm -hmm. I knew that, and I kind of wanted to do this for a little bit, and now I chose to do it this year. And that, that was pretty awesome. So I don't know if you saw me while you were giving your talk, but I was sitting there with a few of my kids. And uh, I was pretty motivated by some of the things you said. You said you brought up a, quite a few things that I didn't even think of. So you, one of the things that you mentioned was that, like, when you're actually building your robot, mm -hmm. that you want it to have, like, as little contact as possible. So can you explain to everybody why? So with the contact points, um, the more you have on the ground, the less accurate your robot will be because it could cause drag or... Um, it just won't be, like, it won't turn as well because there will be more drag or it won't drive forward as accurately because there will be more drag. Yeah. So, like I said, it got, I, uh, one of my kids there was eight years old and he was really motivated. So I think we're going to have to buy some Legos, the, the kit that you mentioned, and get going on that. So how did you prepare for doing a talk like this? Uh, well, I was... Um, I had to come up with like an idea for like um, what I wanted my thing to be themed after. So mm -hmm. since this is like a kind of like a summer camp kind of themed conference, I came up with like camping um, and stuff like that. So that's why I had some camping themes to it. And then um, I also had it. Um, and when I was just working, I was trying to think about all the aspects that I mm -hmm was interested in and did and I could give good solid information on then I made um, a presentation based on that and like what I could give information based on and um, the things that I knew about and the things that I'd done. So how long have you been uh, 
making Lego robots? Um, I've been doing it competitively for three years, and we got like maybe four or five years ago, we got like the actual robot kit. Mm -hmm. um, just my family, and we were messing around with it sometimes and doing little things. But then when I really got into it was when I did it more competitively. So when you do it competitively, is that are you competing or are you with a team? You're on a team competing. Um, it's like an eight-person team mm -hmm. that you compete with in a tournament, and then you practice with them as well. That sounds like it's mm -hmm. a lot of fun. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So what what's your favorite part about working with Legos? I mean, because there's the part where you actually build the robot, or where you, where you design the robot, where you think what mm -hmm. you want it to do. There's a part where you're building it and the part where you're you're programming it. Yeah, so... Which, which um, part's your favorite? My favorite is actually, like, getting to um, figure out what you want to do and then programming it. The building is just, like, quick. You come up with a... Basically, what I do is I come up with a base and then I um, program that base and add things onto that base to make it do um, better things. So you were explaining in the session that you called those attachments. So you yeah. could you could have like the same base that would move the same, but if you had to have an attachment to knock something out of the way, you would add that as yeah. you needed it. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. Is there anything else you want to tell people about, about Legos, about, uh, about the programming for them or about competing? Well, yeah, I just want to say that if you want to like, the competing is kind of a big commitment, so if you want to maybe compete, you should start out with like a small, um, you should start out maybe trying it out and seeing if you actually like it because doing actually competing is a big commitment. Is it? Yeah, so you mentioned that you had played with it first before you had competed. Where did yeah. you find the team to compete with? Um, well, firstly, um, I was on two different teams. Uh, Three years ago, my first team was through my school, mm -hmm. so I was just able to find it through um, the school that I was in. And then for the past two years, um, a friend of mine from my school, his dad coaches a team, so they called me and asked me if I wanted to do it, mm -hmm. and I, um, I said yeah, and they, um, so we worked on it together, and I was able to find that team through mm -hmm. like my friends in school. and. Um, things like that, but it, it's really like normally they run through schools, but you can find some run just through different things. All right, so if if people are interested in doing this, they should try to look for their schools and look yeah. online and see where yeah. the different uh, uh, clubs are for this. Yeah. Well, it was really nice talking to you today, Max. Yeah, really nice you being did here. an excellent job. I found Thanks. a lot of things interesting, and mm -hmm. I'm way older than you. So I just wanted to give you great kudos, and I hope to yeah. see you again here next year talking about whatever else that yeah. you, uh, you do in the next year. All right. Thanks for having me. This is my last interview what, of really? that conference. Yeah, I should right. say best for last. All man. right. I like that. So this is day three of that conference, and I have a very tired, <laughs> very hungover, I'm assuming. No? No, no not this no, year? No, 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 not no, this year? No, no. You, you got a proper good. amount of help this year I then? stayed good, yes. Uh, Clark Sell. So, Clark, uh, as we all know Keeping from, your, from your spec, more than more than happy to have yeah, you yeah. help. Here, so keep yeah. going, keep flowing. Yeah. Look at all this. Right. These guys want cups. She didn't want a cup. He wants. Damon a cup. wants a cup. All right. But anyways, 
Clark, you run that conference. I do. And well, many of us do, but yeah, I'm the head. I'm the head henchman. You're, you're the the head wrangler. Yep. And uh, today was or this week was kind of fun. It was the fifth that conference. Yep. Kind of a a milestone in years. That's kind of yep. important. You you made it beyond three, which I think is huge. Yep. Um, and, we did. And one of the things I really liked. Just bringing some perspective is you showed some pictures of the first that conference, the stage <laughs> completely bare, yeah. like a banner, yeah. you know, one singular yeah. in the background, yeah. and four by eight, or and something. you know, it, it, we obviously see the incremental things every year. Mm-hmm. You know, they just kind of sneak up on you, and but after five, it's just it's amazing coming from very bare bones, but a lot of heart to something that's really looking like. Yeah, where we are today. There's just a lot to offer. So it's it's been a, it's been a crazy five years. You know, when we did it the first year, it was uh, I don't know maybe 400 people, a couple kids speaking. You know, we couldn't afford. We didn't have. I mean, we were in the hole to be quite honest with you coming in the event. And you know, now we've got 1,600 people, and we've got some stage crews here and there. And yeah. uh, you know, we fix some road bumps and introduce other ones and. Yeah. Try to refine it each year, get a little better. Um, yeah. So, so what's the the funnest thing that you've done this year? In, pre- uh, in either terms in prep, of prep, or in e- terms either, of either in prep the- or here, that you know that that's just something new this year that you thought was fun. Okay, so real, real, you know, every year we we have a huge backlog of things that we always want to do and we try to do. We leave here and we're kind of tired and you know move on, but um, usually. I mean, I do all the design stuff with another company and mm-hmm. we iterate back and forth on that. And I love doing that stuff. This year, really, really late in the game, like the Friday before we left late, um, we came up with this idea of the big red button. And for us, we've written the website and the mobile apps and this and that. I, everything that's tech around here, we've built. Even the signs we've built. I mean, we yep. physically have built everything. And so... The Friday before we were getting ready to leave, I came up with an idea called the big red button. And the big red button is what it sounds. It's a it's an arcade button with a particles photon and a temperature sensor. And we built one of these for every single room to put next to the speaker so that we can measure temperature of the room. And then if they had any AV problems, any anything they could just, run, smack, they just smack the button. If they needed a water. That's right. And we would come running. And so we have a dashboard that has this thing. And so it's Friday. We're leaving uh, or packing and leaving on Wednesday and Thursday, right? Mm-hmm. So we have like less than five days to kind of pull something off. Well, what do we need? We needed 16 photons, 15 arcade buttons, perma boards, you know, solder, yeah. the whole nine yards. And so now we're trying to order and get stuff overnight. And uh, three of us built all the boxes we built wrote the software for the the mm-hmm. firmware for them we wrote the website and, and this is like, like this is total last minute yeah. stuff but here's just you know this is where we all have this craft and technology and you just it's like well we could just do this and make it easy and it's been you know it's got some bumps but it's been fantastic like everybody loves it to me that's just one of the many attention to details that you and your group have just added to just make it a little smoother for everybody. But you've also done a few things to make it fun. One thing that my kids noticed, you got Pokemon, like actual <laughs> stuffed animal Pokemon. And not yeah. only that, it's not that you have it, but they move. Yeah. All throughout, every now and then, you know, yeah. 
Pikachu will be on the other side yeah, yeah. or Yeah, we uh I sat down with the kids and we we went through Amazon and we had to get the right pokey dudes, Pokemon, <laughs> pokey girls. Um and then we've hidden there's five, six, seven throughout the conference center that we've hidden in various places and yeah, it's just it's fun, right? Yeah, I mean and, and to me, I mean this phenomenon is only like a month old and totally you, you found a right you found place, a way right you found a way to just take the right thing and just make it that much more attention for yeah. the kids. No, I appreciate it. It's that was it was nice to it was good timing, really. Yeah. And and, and I do have a confession as well. This year, I only attended kids sessions. <laughs> That's good. That's good. We uh and yeah, there's the so kids, many of them. There's so many this year. And a lot, lot of them are year. run by kids themselves. Yes. This was a big year on the family side. I think we grew by maybe 200 people. Um, we went half from, of those are mine. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> we went from like 15 kids speaking last year to almost 30 this year. Wow. Um, That's a lot. It is a lot. And we had the tracks, you know, uh, younger kid younger kid applicable things and then older kid applicable things. Yes. Um, and... I say kid, like some of these are young girls that are, you know, 15, 17 years old. So I guess young adults probably more appropriate. But, um, you know, some were, you know, parent, parent, son, daughter, whatever, doing a kind of a joint thing. But um, we have 300, I'm sorry, we have 400 kids here. And so we took, uh, I don't know, that's probably 8,000 square feet back there. There's Mm -hmm. four rooms that we combined into two. Um, and each room holds 192 people. So wow. if you think of, I mean, it doesn't look like that with all the tables and chairs, but that's how many people fit in those rooms. That's pretty, it's been a pretty good turnout. Yeah. And one of the other things, you know, just keeping it in the, in the family space, I was, I was here three years ago during the boardroom night and we had a blast then, but this year that room is one of the larger rooms here too. Yep, yep. It was full. It Most of the night. And it's just amazing to see how just every little piece just keeps growing and growing and getting bigger. Yeah, I yeah, game nights game night's pretty awesome. I I this year we got to partner with a company called Boardlandia, another local company out of Appleton, you know, close to you. Um, they brought in games, which was really good on us. It gave them exposure, it helped us have broader diverse games rather than just what we all kind of brought. Uh, it was fun, you know. I, we had robots running around shooting frisbees, so, and, and so many different kinds of robots. Everybody brought yes, robots. Sponsors yes, did. Yes. Uh, people doing talks did. Just random people having robots. Yeah. the The physical side of the conference seems to be growing every year, right? Mm-hmm. We see more microcontrollers. We see more robots. We see more well, like hollow lenses and Oculus and whatever. Like there seems to be more and more gadgets coming. So. Yeah. I think Pelican cases are probably flying off the shelf these days so people can pack up their stuff. (laughs) But yeah, it's neat. Yeah. It's neat. We actually forgot to set up an Xbox because there was just so much other stuff that people were doing. And I don't think anybody missed it. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it just, it just slipped our minds. So I guess we got to work on that. Yeah. So (laughs) we can't miss stuff. (laughs) Anything else you want to talk about about this year's at conference? Uh, you know, I guess just thank everybody for all the support. You know, we're, we, we all have day jobs. We are, we do this on a side. Um, we live and die based on how people come and act at, at, during the conference. Mm -hmm. Right. So 
I like, and I think when I opened up on Monday, I said, you know, we've created the stage, we've bought the food, but you make it the experience. Like everybody has to behave a certain way and uh, choose to shake other people's hands. And so I think a huge thank you to everybody for just uh, kind of embracing that vision and doing mm -hmm. it. Uh, and then ask, you know, as we go into next year, you know, here I'm leaving you to go talk to these guys to go sign my house away again, you know, <laughs> that everybody continues to spread the good word. Don't assume that somebody knows because people don't know. People don't know. And it's, it's crazy. There may be a thousand people here, but people really don't know. And, and, and I think one of the things, and you know, yeah, I think we said this last year as well. This is one of those like national level conferences yeah. it, it is it's up the there. national regional thing but it's in the midwest and and that's where i think where you do have a really great reach but we can always go a little bit further and there are people yep. that fly um from texas we, from had Pennsylvania, a, we had a speaker from new zealand from new zealand i mean he gets the trophy and and i know last year there was one from israel yeah uh so there this is you know consistent high level people there is you know, just and, and you know, I mean, we're always looking for new speakers. Like we don't just take, we take a pretty diverse set of people across and, and, and whatever walk track. You know. And I really mean quality more than an, an individual speaker who comes. That's, yeah. yeah, it's yeah. just the quality that's there. Yeah. And I think that it's nice for a lot of us to be able to take either a car or a very short plane ride. Sure. To be able to come sure. here. And we're a bit intentional where we're at, right? You have to leave. Yeah. Like, Nobody here really works in the Dells, yeah, right? So the Dells, I think, is like ten people and a lot right, of and nine thousand tourists. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's and look, it pulls you away from Chicago or Milwaukee or Madison or Dubuque, you know, wherever you're from, right? Minneapolis, and and thus you can't just go home or go back to work. Yep. And that was intentional. Like I, I know it's difficult to get here at times. I think we all sent a ton of traffic through Madison and whatnot, but once you're here, you're, you're immersed into why you're here. Mm -hmm. And um, I know they're, it was actually sad to hear that they're putting cell phone towers. They've actually lined the roof. So there's going to be cell phone coverage here okay. finally, which is <laughs> on one hand, fantastic. On the other hand, it, has, it, it like bums me out because we've got, it's been this advantage that everybody's like, well, I just, I, you know, I don't have a cell phone. So you don't see people looking down at their phones because they're useless, right? Yep. And so um, it's good. I mean, it's, it's, been, it's been a hell of a ride. Yeah. So, uh, well, you know, I, I really hope that you guys can just keep this going year after year. And it's a lighter load on you guys. It gets you get easier. More people. It gets easier every year. That's for sure. Some things get harder. Some things get easier. We're in the scale problems now, right? Like, how do you deal with... 1600 people mm -hmm. i mean we could feed them but you still got to shuffle them around a convention center you gotta yep. have you know t-shirts now aren't like a little box you need, <laughs> you need there are 50 boxes of t-shirts you, right? you need to get a, one of those things that hold five boxes at yeah. a time so you can yeah. cart them around yeah like we had to buy dollies this year because it was just impossible to move the amount of stuff that needs to be moved and without like physically like dying because yeah. we've picked up 900 boxes so of which this year i took a whole bunch of video of so i have like so time yeah, that's lapse of new. us yeah i have time lapse of us unloading the truck and reloading the trucks and keynoters and some setup here and there so i've been 
been doing a lot of, I'll call it rogue YouTubing. We'll put some links to those in our show notes yeah, so everybody can check those out. We, we, we got some good stuff. I'll, I'll get the keynotes out early this year. So that stuff will be up on YouTube. And That's out um, on channel nine already, I think. Or close uh, the, to the keynotes probably are, but we'll put the like the yeah the special four, ones. yeah the, the whatever professional ones we've taken. So, um, but yeah, I mean it's exciting. So awesome! You know, once again, I can't say enough thanks for the, all that you do for the community Absolutely, and man. for everybody who comes here. Yeah, well, thanks, thanks lot, for man. being part of it. Yeah, we really enjoy it. Good, you come back next year. Absolutely. Bring bring that co-host of yours. That yeah, he's off adulting to, it. I mean. Yeah. I, I guess you can replace him with a giraffe. Yeah, especially if you look right there. I'm not, not going to mention it, but you know what I'm it's talking about. It's the wrong about. part of the giraffe. <laughs> yeah, we're facing the back end, guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thanks a lot again, and uh, uh, we'll see you next year. Sounds great, man. Appreciate it.